reference you can. Uh, last week, I had the great opportunity to go down to my brother's church, uh, and it was super cool and a big surprise to me. My nephews are a part of the youth worship team, and they were actually leading worship that Sunday, and that same thing happened to me down there, and I had to be handheld, and it was terrible. I'm having the worst luck. <laughs> Golly. All right. So uh, in spite of what Michael said, I did not lose a bet to my brother, all right? So I get to, I don't lose bets, all right? I just don't make bets. I'm smart like that. Um, But it was a joy to go down and to serve at their church and just kind of in that spirit, a fun little story to open up with you guys this morning. I am a, a little brother of five years. And growing up, when you're a little brother of a five-year difference, your older brother always has the upper hand. Just does. Uh, the number of times I was pile-drived off the trampoline, um, I did go to the hospital once, okay? So those are real stories. Got to put it on the other hip. I'll just stand today. That's fine, too. So... The number of times I was pile-drived off the trampoline, that that happened. The number of times when your older brother gets you on the ground, and I don't think you're allowed to do this anymore, but you get the loogie in the back of your throat, and you let it drip almost down to their face, and they suck it back up (laughs) normally. (laughs) Anybody else? (laughs) All right, good, good, good. Um, How about the thing where they pin you down, and they... They get you like this, and they just, yeah, yeah. Well, this strange thing happened. Uh, Out of high school, um, and I go to college, my brother, he had stopped growing, and I did not. (laughs) It's awesome. In fact, when I stand next to him, I've got like, I think he claims 5'10". Lauren, if you're going to listen to this, you're like 5'8", bro. All right? (laughs) He's not that short. Anyways, (laughs) but I bulked up because I went to a Bible college I hated and had nothing else to do with my time. And I come home uh, from school, and my brother had been married uh, about a year, and he was wanting to show off uh, his abilities to still dominate me. We came home from Christmas, I did, and we're in this living room space, and he begins to engage in a wrestling match with me to cause me to submit. I learned a few things at college, right? So as we start going at it and grappling, I finally get him where we're just like at a deadlock, and his newish bride is looking on, the family's watching, And he whispers in my ear, can't we just call it good? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, finally, I got the upper hand. And I look at him in his despair and the whole situation. And in meekness, which we'll discuss a little later, which is strength under control, I say, yeah, man, it's fine. And we let up. And this sigh of relief comes over his face as his little brother, I think he thinks he won because he mentally made me submit still, right? That was his manipulating part. But his little brother, he had never challenged me again since then, right? So, so, submission this morning. 
That's what we're going to talk about. In fact, we're going to talk about this outward discipline that we're going to show up here in just a second. But we're in this series as we're tracking somewhat along in Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. And I would say we're about hip deep into the disciplines at this point as we finished all of those inward disciplines. Those disciplines that ought to spark change, ought to cause our hearts to be engaged with what Jesus would desire for our lives, that then begin to move outward in our lives, going out into the world. And as we've been talking about week in and week out, these disciplines are not for salvation, they're from salvation. We as people, having been formed by your upbringing, whatever that may look like, good or bad, we have the hope of being transformed because of what Jesus is doing in our lives. And as you can see in these charts up here, we talked about prayer, fasting, study, meditation. These inward disciplines are inward because they're not the things you do out in front of everybody. They're not the things that we showcase how excellent we are at praying or how excellent we are at study or as the Pharisees would do, they would paint their faces white and show how religious they were when they fasted. But Jesus says, I want you to do these things in your closet quietly and watch them begin to change and transform your life. Now we move into this section of these outward disciplines, which are things that are going to be taking place uh, in a one-to-another kind of manner as we look at them this morning. And today's discipline is on submission. And I'm in full agreement with Foster. He says, no other discipline has been more abused and used to cause bondage, fear, and hopelessness than the discipline of submission. You don't have to raise your hand outwardly right now, but I wonder who has been harmed, who has been hurt because of the wrongfully taught ways of submission, be it in your marriage, in your relationship to your parents, or you as a parent to your child, or possibly in your church. We've all heard stories of tragedy when it comes to submission. And Foster acknowledges that, and so we want to be very careful this morning as we articulate and talk about this discipline, what it actually looks like in our lives. And so for us this morning, when we talk about submission, really it's the freedom in submission because the purpose of the discipline is freedom. And he says it's the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get your own way. The ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get your own way. How many of you have ever had somebody come to you and they ask your advice? They want your two cents. And... We're more than willing to give it, aren't we? You should do this. You should do that. And they do the opposite of what you say. And you get a little upset that they don't listen to you. That you didn't influence them how you wanted to. They didn't follow through with the action that you suggested to them. And then all of a sudden, you're upset. You're bent. You have issues and problems because they came to me but they did not listen to me. I did not get my own way. That's just one small example. Now, embedded in Western culture is this idea of autonomy or individualism, which is radicalized. 
It's so radicalized that when we hear it and see it, we don't even understand what's taking place. There's three slogans that come to mind when I think about this idea of individualism and getting my way. First of all, we have this saying in our culture, the customer is always right. Mm, yeah, even when they're wrong, huh? <laughs> yeah, right, you know that. How about this one? Burger King framed it. Have it. It's all about you. Have it your way. The subtle message of you're the most important person when you walk into the restaurant, when you walk up to the customer service desk. In fact, you can just ignore the fact that it's an actual human standing across from you because you're the customer, you're right. You should have all things your way. Or the very famous line, just do Just do it. Whatever you want to do. Now, Nike may not intend it to be that way, but that's how it comes across. Just do it. And these marketing slogans give way to what Michael discussed last week, a rule of life, a rhythm, disciplines in which we build our lives upon. So you have it in your mind when you step into this church, your place of work, back into your family, when you step into your friend circles, that you should have it your way, that you should just be able to do whatever you please, that you are the one that is always right, and it's embedded in us. And then what happens is we feel the right to steamroll anybody who gets in in the way of our desires, who gets in the way of the things we want. So so what I'm teaching on this morning is anti-American mentality. It's the antithesis of what people think day in and day out. It's something that we're actually going to have to retrain our hearts and retrain our minds in as we look at what it means to be human under the kingship of Jesus. Getting away from the ideas of, my ideas are the best, my ways are the right ways, your processes, they're not very good, but mine are so much better. And if you don't get out of the way, I will badmouth you, run you over, push you off to the sides. Now, it's very overt, I'm going to admit. And it's a much more inward thing that's happening, sometimes very subtle, but we see it in our everyday interactions. We are absolutely terrible at a central command in Scripture to esteem others above ourselves, to submit ourselves one to another. But, but, as you've been formed by the American Western individual autonomous way, you can be formed by Jesus this morning. You can be formed. It's good news for you. Trust me, that's really good news for me. Now, the sad truth about submission is if we just do a word association with it and we hear it, we think manipulation, we think just getting rolled over, We think of a passivity that has to take place in our lives. We think ultimately that it leads to some kind of authority figure having oppression over us. And it can be a bit of a dirty word in our culture. And that's part of the problem with language. Language changes. We've done this before. But you go to the skate park and you hear some kids say, that's sick. It means that's awesome, radical, cool, amazing, right? Uh, You go to the hospital and somebody says, they're sick. That means bad 
news. Language has this way of morphing and changing the way we use it in culture. And so when we look at language in the scriptures, we need to get rooted in what's actually being said when that term's used and understand that scripture, it was written for you, but as Mackie says, it's not written to you. You may throw anything at me. It was written for you. But look, you didn't live in Ephesus in the first century. You didn't live in Corinth. However, it is written for you. Why? Because everything in here is applicable. Everything in here has this ideas of how it is to live and follow under Jesus. It's authoritative. It is for you. But there is some barriers we have to get over because it wasn't written directly to you. Um, because again, you didn't live in that culture, speak Greek, you didn't go through their systems and processes and under Roman oppression and all the rest. So I want to do some work on this language. Sorry, guys, you're going to be here a little longer than I thought. So am I, but I am leaving for Disneyland right after this teaching. So, woo! Yeah, cool. Let's get into some scripture. Um, first of all, the submission that we're going to look at, it is rooted in love. Let's turn to Romans chapter 9. It's good stuff. Verse 9. Okay. Deep breath. When we talk about submission, it is the S word in our culture, I promise you. Right? Nobody wants to hear it, but let's see what Scripture says. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Listen to this. I read this at every wedding I do. Outdo one another in showing honor. That is preference. That is putting somebody above you. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. If you want to know what love looks like, love is an action. It is not an emotion. Love actually does something. Love moves you towards something. Paul goes on and says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Underline that one. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And we'll read 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Very, very famous passage in the scriptures. Let's turn to verse 15 in there. Look carefully then at how you ought to walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Paul is writing this. This is for us this morning. And he's saying, I want you to use your time wisely. I want you to figure out how it is to be human in your community, in your culture as a follower of Jesus. And it's interesting because at this point, I'm thinking, is it time to study, Paul? Is it time to get out our notebooks? Is it time to actually dig in? Are you going to lead us in how to practically understand the word of God or how to pray in a certain way? But what does he say? He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So may the controlling influence in your life, may the thing that governs, guides, leads you. Much as alcohol does when somebody's intoxicated, they'll say, I didn't mean that I was drunk. Well, actually, that's what's coming out of you because you were drunk and you're speaking your heart for the first time, right? Well, he's saying, don't, don't be like that, but be like that in the Spirit. May the Spirit flow from you. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another. One another means one another. You can look around the room. You can walk out the door. Submitting to one another. Now, we get this idea, it's towards all people, Ephesians 5. Finally, this is just like third point that I'm gonna just expound on this and get us out of here. Philippians 2, 1 through 8, how Christ loved. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love and participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Read that again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look at your own interests, but the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count at equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. All right, so what are we going to do with this? We have this culturally taboo word, submit. One that in which we hear it, we get a little apprehensive and we throw up our guards, and we're all of a sudden worried about what is some domineering, authoritative figure going to tell me I have to do, I have to fall in line with. But when we begin to understand this idea of submission, it looks a whole lot different as Paul discusses and talks about it. In fact, if you're to go back and read Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, you're going to see a word repetition in which Paul starts off this entire segment and he says to love, 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 love. It comes up over and over again in that section of scripture. There's this overarching premise that should be filling every believer's lives that we abound in love towards one another. But love and submission is like a coin with two sides. These two things are going to go together as submission is an action, a movement. Because we love one another, there's going to be something that then plays out from that. That is Paul's entire point in this. He's calling you, he's calling me to live a life of love. In fact, he showed that to us as he put himself on that cross and died for us. And this is not the warm fuzzies. This is not junior high, I've got feelings for you kind of love, but a kind of love that moves to action. Tim Mackey gives a great description of this. He says, love is a commitment to act for the well-being of another person. That redefines love for me. 
It's a commitment to act, to do something for the well-being of another person. So as followers of Jesus, this is what we're called to. Now, what he says in Ephesians, as Paul continues to give this outline, he says, you're actually supposed to submit one to another. We're going to get into a little bit more in Ephesians 5, that whole marriage passage. It's just an example of what Paul is talking about here. But when he says to submit to one another, he means it in the church. You might be sitting next to your spouse, and you look at them and go, God told me to submit to you. And your spouse can respond, God told me to submit to you. And you can look at the kid that's downstairs, the child, and say, God has told me one to another to submit to you, to put love as a commitment into action, to do something for you. Now, this was revolutionary in that culture because it was a disruption to the entire social order of the day. This was not how Roman culture was built It was not how Roman culture functioned. And let me tell you something. When you have power and you're on top, the last thing you want is for something to come in and disrupt it. Am I right? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants somebody to come in and actually level the playing field and even things out. And so how it worked in that day and age and in that culture embedded in their society was the emperor or Caesar. As you can see this chart here, he was at the highest What I mean by that is Caesar could say, you're dead or you live, and his word was final. You give, I take, my word is final. Everybody else is under the emperor Caesar. They were thought of as God's incarnate in that day. Underneath him, because one man could not rule all of realm, he was not omnipresent, you had ruling elite. These people were the most important figures in their communities, financially wealthy, and they had these very, very large families, and everything would kind of filter through them on up, and they were powerful and in control. These ruling elites only consisted of men. Women were not involved in the ruling elite of that day. Next, in a family, you had patriarchs. Generational living was very, very common, and the patriarch of the family would direct lead guide the direction for the family. Once again, a ruling class built within. Then, finally, you get to women. They're there at that bottom place, right above children and slaves. And that is the structure. But Jesus comes, and he elevates women. Jesus comes, and he elevates children. Bring them unto me. In fact, unless you come like a child, you're not going to have the kind of faith I'm talking about. He begins to chop at the knees of the religious elite, taking them down a notch. He attacks many of the structures that are in place, rebuilding up correctly the way in which God intends for family structure to be, government structure to be, with Christ at the head, right? This is what's going on here, but it's an absolute disruption. And so when we talk about submission this morning, we're going to look at it through this picture of marriage. Got to keep in mind that it's mutual submission one to another, which means we're constantly building each other up. I believe both Keller and Tim Mackey refer to it as the dance. And here's what I mean by the dance. Christ is the head of the church, period. Even if you don't feel like it, Christ is the head of the church. Then the church is underneath of him. 
Then in Ephesians 5, verse 22, it goes in as you read this marriage passage. The husband is the head of the wife. And she is to come underneath or submit to her husband. We have a conundrum. I'm always looking for an opportunity to share that word. A problem. Paul, you just said we're all supposed to submit one to another out of reverence to Christ. And he just said that husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church. How is this all going to work out? Because society, in a sense, is blowing up in front of their faces because what had previously been happening was that hierarchy. I'm the head of you, and you're the head of me, and we just go down the list of things. And now, all of a sudden, Jesus comes in, and he says, there is no longer, in Galatians 5, bond servant or slave and free man. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer male or female. In a sense, I'm telling you once again what I originally created was you're both made in the image of God. You're both given this mandate to go and create, to be priests one to another, to function and operate for human flourishing. You humans under the fall created these class systems, and Jesus blows it up, and it's super awkward. Why? Because come on in on a Sunday morning, and now all of a sudden, Paul under the authority of God, is saying, the slave who you've been over all week is equal with you. And they're going, how do we do this? What does this look like? If submission is actually doing something to elevate someone above yourself, putting them in front of you, what does this look like? And what we get is this beautiful picture where Christ is the head of the church. And that previous slide showed that. But what did Christ do? He came under the church and died for the church and lifted her up, right? In love, because love acts, he actually gets underneath the church and lifts the church up and brings the church to glory. Therefore, if the analogy is husbands are the head of the wife, husbands, what are you called to do? I won't say it. You're supposed to come underneath and lift her up. Do you see it? This is what you're called to do. You're to submit. Come underneath because love acts, right? But But then, because all of a sudden, all of these Christians and women in the family that were married realized, do I still have to submit? Isn't that the Roman way? Let's blow that thing up. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Actually, wives, you are to submit to your husband. Let's go to that next slide. You can see I didn't make these. Michael did. They're awesome. (laughs) So so the wife comes underneath the husband, and then the husband underneath the wife, and then Michael did this cool thing, and he made a heart of the dance. Thanks, dude. You make me look good. Everybody needs a Michael in their life. Let me tell you that. (laughs) All right? Makes me look great. And this is the way a proper marriage functions. This is the way the church functions. This is the relationship that we have one with another. Let me esteem you above me. Oh, no, no, let me get underneath you and lift you up. No, let me get underneath you and lift you up. And now all of a sudden we're doing things not to get things back in return, but to lift the other person up in the name of Christ. You see, in submission, we are free at last to value other people. That's what submission does. 
I no longer have to walk into a room and think, how can you lift my life up? How can you promote me? How can you make me look better? Who can I get close with in order to move up in the world? But I look at the room entirely different. Who can I come underneath of to lift them up, to encourage them? And when we participate in this dance rightly, both in life in general, in the church, in marriage as well, we see flourishing. We see fruit. We see health. We actually live out Romans 12. We learn to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. I can celebrate the heck out of you. You know why? Because I don't have to be about me all the time. I can come underneath you and encourage you and lift you up. I can weep with those who weep. I can love people unconditionally. I can give up my right to demand love in return. And we stop giving ourselves priority. It's really key for me. Um, growing up, I grew up in the church, and that meant I went to summer camp like every other week in the summer. So my parents had that thing figured out just right. Like, we can get all these kids out of the house all the time all summer. And I started to counsel and serve in these camps and started to be asked to help kind of co-lead and come alongside of people. And um, I was 19, 18, and, and I had this idea that I could always run a camp better than the next person. Like, I've learned it. I've got it. I can do this. When I talk camp, I'm talking like, 300 kids, and it is gnarly. Our camps, we, we played games where you put a Band-Aid on your forehead, and you split up into two groups, and the rules were there are no rules. And the goal was to rip Band-Aids off each other's heads. Yeah, well, well, guys can get guys. Guys couldn't get girls. Girls could get guys, which, whatever. And, and girls could get girls. It was just, it was gnarly. And there were scars and bleeding. This camp was crazy. And I'm like, I'm 18. I can run that. So I have these conversations, and I'm kind of embedding that seed, and my time to shine had finally come because our pastor who had led Wednesday night church forever made this big announcement and called all the pastors home. Then the guy that was the second-hand man, he was at the hospital with some kid for like a broken collarbone because that was a daily occurrence. And so I'm in charge. I got my moment, and I was terrible. I couldn't lead them. I couldn't get them to go where they needed to go. I couldn't plan anything. And I had a big slice of humble pie that day that taught me a lesson for my life. I am not the smartest person in the room anymore. My ways are not the best ways. It's really good to have other people speak in. That's the liberation. That's the freedom that comes when we're able to actually submit ourselves. We are giving up our rights for someone else. We're giving up our ways, our processes, our systems. Now, what submission is not? It's not spineless. You can have conviction, and you better have conviction in this day and age that we live in. Let me tell you that right now. You can have conviction. You don't have to have self-hatred or just roll over and self-loathing. That's not what we're discussing here. There's this term of meekness, which is power under control. It's the ability to look at my brother when he's got me and I've got him and he goes, dude, just like help me look good in front of my wife. Let me out of this hold <laughs> and we'll call it good. We'll never do this again. And I could have persisted in my ways, but to say, I'm going to put you first. That's what we're talking about. Allowing us to love those that persecute us. A couple quotes and then an invitation, and we'll close this out as I try to wrap it up. Submission is self-denial out of love for God and others. 
Thomas A. Kempis, 1400 to 1471, was a German Augustinian monk who was exemplary in living out this life of obedience in his community, the abbot rule, and one to another unto Christ. And he said, And yet, what great matter is it if you, who are but dust and nothing, subject yourself to man for God's sake? When I, the Almighty and the Most High, who created all things of nothing, humbly subjected myself to man for your sake. He's saying, because I, basically Christ, Christ became man and became subject even unto death in order to lift you up. Why do you got to throw a fit about the color of the floors in the church? That's just like the adage, the old fight, you know, in churches, the carpet, whatever have you. Why can't we just lift each other up? Why can't we just trust when God has placed people in authority and leadership that they actually are about our good? And I know the narrative. The narrative is because it hasn't always been that way. Then get out of that situation and get into a situation that you trust, but then when you don't get your way, don't just bow out because it got hard. Don't just bow out because they didn't like your opinions. Don't just bow out because they didn't agree with you. But understand there can be a wrestling over non-essentials, and we can walk and move forward together. If I could, like, personalize it, I would say I have a handful of friends that lived that with me over the last two years, and I am so thankful for them. They didn't like every decision, but they stayed with us. They expressed their displeasure, but they prayed for us, and they kept coming, and they kept supporting That's submission when you don't like the direction it's going. Now, if it crosses sinful lines, if we're asking you to participate in cultish activity or illegal activity, like like call it to an end, right? But when it's these preferences, let's put others first. He goes on and says, I became of all men the most humble and most abject. He's talking about Christ, not himself. That you might overcome your pride with my humility. O dust, learn to be obedient. Learn to humble yourself. You of earth and clay, and bow yourself down under the feet of all men. Learn to break your own wishes, to yield to yourself, to all subjection. Just like submission's a dirty word in our culture, self-denial's a dirty word. The buzzword is do what pleases you. Feed the flesh. Whatever feels good, whatever feels right, indulge in it. Give to your cravings. Treat yourself, right? If you're a fan of Parks and Rec, you know what I'm talking about. Or how about this fun line? YOLO, right? You only live once, so just do it. Just do it. That self-denial has become, as it's become this like naughty word in our culture, Christ calls us to something different. This is the way in our world is to simply put yourself first and self-fulfillment and self-actualization. But when as a culture, are we going to realize that our way is not the best way, but coming underneath God's way is? There's a story tucked away in the Old Testament. I was reading it this last week in 2 Samuel, where there was a son of David. His name is Ammon. And Ammon had the hots for what I believe and hope is his half-sister. Not that that makes it any better, because the Bible just says his sister, his brother's sister. Okay, So I'm going with half-sister in this situation. 
And he convinces the king to allow her to serve him because he pretends to be sick. He takes her and he finally fulfills all of his wants and his desires because you only live once. Just do it. Have it your way. Act on it. And he sleeps with his half-sister. And then what happens? He hates her. He says, no, no, no. She goes, look, stay with me now. You have defiled me. We have to stay together. What's going to become of me? And he despises despises her. He gets everything he wants on his own terms. He saw, he took, it's the Genesis narrative, it's the Abraham narrative with Hagar. He saw, he took, and now he's displeased. When, church, when will we realize we should submit ourselves to God's way? And God's way says to submit yourselves one to another. We gotta have freedom. We gotta have autonomy. Even in the garden, the freest of free places, God put parameters on what you could and couldn't participate in, partake of. And He says, Trust me, my way is going to be better. But we did not trust Him. And that narrative is played out again and again and again in our lives. And here's what I wanna say to you today, in your heart, submit to God. Dallas Willard says, Submission is abandoning outcomes to God. It means you don't have to make things happen for God. You don't have to get people to think well of you. You don't have to get people on board with your agenda. You don't have to make sure that you're going to succeed. But we abandon that. And we leave it unto God. So here's what I'm going to leave you with. I want you to consider a few things. Scripturally, who has God placed in authority over your life? Go read Ephesians 5. Look how that works in marriage. Read in Hebrews how God gave us leaders to lead in the church. There's passages on when it's okay to have rebellion against the governing authorities that God has laid out, and there's times when it's not okay to do that, but God has still given the authority of government. God has given children. He has given your parents authority in your life. Who, who has God placed in authority over your life? Be easy to leave it there, but I want to say, in what ways are you called to submit to them? What makes submission so hard for you and for me? What would submission look like in those situations? What would your life look like if even when you have good ideas, you submit to somebody else's ideas? Okay? I can send these. They'll be in the e-weekly. The next thing I want to think about, how do we submit to God? We have to be willing to sit and be still as we sing. If you want to submit to God, come early next week. Come and be still in a community that is submitting themselves to God and see what he might do. It's an invitation into pre-gathering prayer. It's perfect. may not be a popular take, but I do believe scripture is authoritative. I do believe that it has authority over our lives and we have to take it serious and what is put in it is for our lives. It's for us. Come underneath scripture, know scripture, and then submit one to another. Real practically, some ways you can practice submission and Michael and Nikki, you can come on up because I promise these are quick. How can you practice submission? We can grow in submission like this In the morning, each morning, submit yourselves to God by saying, what would you have for me this morning? Your will, your way, and your time, God. May I not get in front of you. 
may be right behind you. Wait on God before making decisions. When you start to pursue an opportunity, present it prayerfully to a friend, to a mentor, to a leader, and don't act until you've actually had conversation around it, getting their input into your life. This week at work, in meeting with others, let them speak first before you promote your ideas. That's a real hard one if you're really used to getting your own way. Let somebody else speak first. Let somebody else have the last word. And finally, let somebody cut in front of you or let somebody cut you off and you just smile and pray for them instead of giving them a certain finger. Right? Like, come on, guys. Let's be, let's be real about it, though. Let's practice this on the small scale so then it comes on up to the larger scale in our life. Hopefully this summer I come back around on this because I got a lot more to say, but we're out of time. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your love, and your mercy, and your word. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Just real practically and just in, in asking, um, and I just want to give this as like a, a way that you can do this. And so I sincerely mean what I'm about to ask God and pray in front of you guys, but I am getting ready to take my family down to California and that place is chaotic and crazy and I have an agenda and a way I want things to go. And you can join me in praying for my family that I can let that go and just ask God how he wants to give my family rest. You guys cool with that? So, Father, I do pray for my family as we get away for a little bit, that I can lay down my rights, my ways, and I can lift up my kids and my wife, and that I can lay aside my agenda and need to fix every problem and be involved in everybody's issues and to simply trust you and rest. Help me to lay aside my desires that are even good desires. May I abandon those outcomes unto you as I come underneath of you and experience your trust, your rest, your love in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue to worship the Lord through song if you'd stand with us. The tables are going to be open. Ron's going to come on up and lead us in communion this morning. There's an offering box to give to what God is doing here. Redeemers, I love you guys. I look forward to being back with you in 10 days as I teach in two weeks from now. But let's pursue Jesus during this time. Amen.